welcome to Discount Ticket to a World Unknown. I am Michaela. And I'm Catherine. And today we are finally going to talk about chapters 8 through 10 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yes, finally, we can get on to the rest of these chapters. So the detention scene with Lockhart and Harry, very much the same. And then he leaves late, Lockhart dismisses him. He leaves late to go to the dining hall to eat dinner. And then he meets up with Hermione and Ron. This is in the movie. And then that's when they stumble upon the writing, the blood writing on the wall. Yeah. So in the movie, he hears the the voices and in the detention scene, like he does in the book. But then he, when he runs into Ron and Hermione, he hears it again, like he would later in the book. And they come across the, the scene that you're about to talk about. And that's very different from the book. <laughs> Very different because they cut out and then that's when we jump into chapter eight, the death day party. They completely cut out the death they day party. completely. <laughs> and I, okay, this <laughs> gives character to the ghosts. Oh yeah, it gives character to a lot of people. Yes, <laughs> and they just take it out. The death day party would have been amazing in the movie. And I don't know if it was budget cuts or maybe it maybe if they thought about it and they hired the actors and they just didn't go through with it for, you know, time purposes. But it's just it's such a lovely scene because I love when you talk about supernatural things. I love the supernatural. I love the extra stuff, the behind the scenes stuff. So Peeves, one of my favorite characters or anybody, the ghosts, nearly headless Nick and the Moaning Myrtle. Yes, Moaning Myrtle. That gives great character to Moaning Myrtle as well. Her moping. In yes. the movie, it shows her briefly moping around in the bathroom, but that scene just amplifies that. Yeah, and it it explains better why the girls avoid that bathroom. Because the bathroom comes into a very important play later in the book. Yes. And it's kind of just briefly described in the movies and it's just kind of like overlooked and they don't really talk about it like they they don't I wouldn't say that they necessarily go into depth about it in the movies because well the books don't really either to the extent that I would I don't know. The books explain it more than once because they talk about it in the death day party because Hermione wants to avoid moaning Myrtle because she's always crying and flooding the bathroom. Um, and then Which when they run initially... into the bathroom, they she Hermione explains it again as the last place anyone would ever go to. And so that's why they're safe there. Um, Absolutely. So it, it is sort so. of a very big part to play in the movie and you know time it, it, it is a cut scene yes. but it gives character to yeah. the ghosts yeah. that are important well and it gives you a whole like it, it's world building because at the end of chapter seven we run into nearly headless nick or no that's the beginning of this book or this chapter isn't it yes we run into nearly headless nick no it is because my next note is about this part so. oh yeah it is because he invites him to the death day and then it yes. fast forwards yes. so yeah you're right so, so let's start all over yeah <laughs> okay so at the beginning of chapter eight harry is playing quidditch or something in the rain and he comes in he's soaking wet covered in mud and he runs into nearly headless Nick, who is just like standing in the hallway, not really focusing on anything. And that's when you learn about um, the headless horsemen, that yes. like whole society, and how nearly headless Nick is 
can't be a part of that society because his head is not cleanly cut off. He's got like one inch left of skin. One inch. And he he starts gabbing his mouth about, oh, you know, if he could choose to be killed smoothly, he would have and have his head just chopped right off. But no, he had to be uh, chopped. Yeah, yeah, brutally <laughs> murdered multiple times. Uh, yeah, they, they couldn't get through his whole neck. They had that. I think he said he was chopped like forty six times or something. Yes. Like oh my god, like, I couldn't imagine. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Yeah. So we get to know the headless society and how yes. it's a very important thing to nearly headless Nick. And the whole point of the Death Day party is because it's what how many how many hundred years since nearly headless nick died and the party's supposed to celebrate his like death day his 500th death day or something like that anyway so nearly headless nick tells harry that the 500 that's it i was right the 500th death day so he's having this big party and he invites Harry to this party because he wants Harry to tell the leader of the Headless Horseman Society that um, he finds Nearly Headless Nick very scary. But that comes after he gets in trouble with Filch and Nearly Headless Nick saves him by pretending That's to be Peeves. True. I forgot about that. No, he yes. didn't pretend to be Peeves. He told Peeves to do it. Oh, he so told Peeves. This, okay. okay, so rewind because this whole part is very important and it's not in the movie at all, which is terrible. I uh, know because so- <laughs> my favorite character, Peeves, and yes. his troubleness. Yeah. So first, we run into Nearly Headless Nick. We learn about the Headless Horseman Society. Nearly Headless Nick warns Harry that Filch is in a very bad mood and and Harry is dripping mud everywhere and so he should really get out of there. And then uh, Filch's cat shows up, Mrs. Norris, and then Filch shows up like two seconds later because apparently they've got telepathy or something and he knew that something was wrong. Yes. And Filch brings Harry all the way back downstairs to his dungeon office, dragging all the mud down there again and... Um, just making his ho- uh, his job yeah, more complicated so that he can he can sign harry up for detention and get him in trouble and then you hear a big boom and that's peeves throwing something on the ground and so then you leave harry alone in filch's office and harry finds the quick spell letter where you find out that filch is not a normal wizard no, he's a squib. Yes. I love that word, squib. Yes. Well, he doesn't necessarily call himself a squib until later in the chapter. Very but true. you find out that he can't do regular magic and he needs help. And so that's what Quickspell is, which is an important part of the plot because it explains why Filch is so eager to point at Harry for killing Mrs. Norris. In the movie, he just immediately assumes that it's Harry and there's yes. no like reason why. He just turns around and says, he did it. Well, in the book, it makes more sense because Harry yeah. found out about Quickspell and that he's a squib and all of this kind of stuff. And so it makes more sense why Filch's head would go straight to Harry. Yes. So, and this part happens and Peeves tosses that very expensive, I'm pretty sure I want to say wardrobe or something. So key point, go back and look what that's called. What the what the thing was called. Making me work for it, aren't you? Yes, I am, because it's a very important <gasps> part. It's the the vanishing. Yes, it's the, the vanishing cabinet. Yes, the vanishing cabinet. Oh, my oh, this gosh. This is a very important scene. Because oh, my the gosh. vanishing cabinet's in here, and it later explains why it's important later on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yes. So, 
Peeves tosses that off the side of the stairs, right? No, he taught, he throws it or he lifts the vanishing cabinet. I think we don't ever see the scene, so I'm not truly sure, but he basically lifts the vanishing cabinet into the air and drops it in the classroom above Filch's. Oh, so it's you're like right, the ceiling right. is what it hits. And so you hear a huge bang. And it, we find out that it's the vanishing cabinet. Yes. Which is very so, important. And I love, I love this For the sixth part. book. <laughs> I can't wait. See, we've got to hurry up and get through this book that I've already read so we yes. can read more of this series. <laughs> I, I need to. Yes. So, yes, I love this part because, and it doesn't really show this. It might show like a glimpse of this scene in the movie or it, no, it was a deleted scene. That's what it was. It was a deleted scene that was supposed to show Harry finding the letter, but the scene was completely different than what it is in the book. So I really love this scene because it really expresses how bitter Filch is. So he goes out of his way to leave Harry behind after he was so determined to get him into trouble Mm -hmm. to go and attend to Pease because he is just so vengeful towards, like, he just wants revenge. He really wants Pease gone. Yeah. Like really bad. Yeah. And then he he, he basically so... says, This is Peeves last straw. I can finally get him out of this or gone from the school or something like that. Yeah. And it's so he's so vent re- like he wants revenge so bad, or he's just so bitter towards Peeves that when he comes back to Harry and he notices that Harry saw the letter or whatever, he's so embarrassed and he's so mad at Peeves and he's so determined to get, you know, Peeves in trouble that he's just like, go. I don't care about getting you in trouble now. Just leave. Yeah, he's so embarrassed by leaving Harry there and letting Harry have the possibility of finding that that he doesn't care about punishing Harry anymore. He just wants him out of his office. So yeah, that scene I feel like should have been a great part in the movie because it does explain Filch's character. Yeah, well, and I feel like there's so much that they... It's hard because I know that they have a time constraint and like CGI and stuff like that. And so it's expensive. But there's also the point where like in the movie, you never, you don't get some of these hints for later in the series. And so you don't have as much to recall to. So like when you get to the sixth book and you don't understand why they're fixing the vanishing cabinet, like it's explained in the second book what happened and why that thing was destroyed and it's not explained at all in the movies and because they wanted to take out the ghosts yeah and the vanishing cabinets are just like thrown into that that book and they're they're brought up in this they are supposed to be like a thrown in added part to the plot they're actually throughout the books and the, the movies just never give those easter eggs like she does in the books which, which are sad. great and they really blow your mind whenever you figure them out like yeah. mine was blown about that being the vanishing cabinet yeah so yeah harry leaves and then that's whenever he um, runs back into nearly had this nick yes and then that's whenever he invites him to his death day party yes the death day because... party that should have been in the movie yes but so a nearly headless nick gets peeves to throw the vanishing cabinet down to get harry out of there so in return harry says yes to going to the death day party yes because he did a favor for him so harry's going to do a favor for nick yeah and then harry takes it upon himself to invite ron and i mean nearly headless nick was like oh the more the merrier type of attitude yeah, he was like you don't. they don't have to come but if you want to invite them yeah but honestly if i were with me (laughs) yeah if i were joining a party with a bunch of ghosts i would bring my friends along too oh yeah i wouldn't go to that alone (laughs) 
absolutely not but I love this scene you know for Ron as well because it really shows how much of a foodie he is oh yeah (laughs) he goes to the party and he was expecting this big feast right and then he goes to this ghost party and there's rotting food at the death day party Mm -hmm. and it's just his disappointment you can just see it like you're reading it but you can just see it in your head the disappointment on Ron's face because he doesn't have any food to eat and then they have to leave the death day Mm -hmm. party and get in trouble and everything like with everything that goes on afterwards and not eat yeah and this is the death day party like we said earlier is also where you meet moaning myrtle yes and you get to know who moaning myrtle is and how she has to do with the rest of the plot because no one likes her because she's always crying or moaning in the stall and so everyone tends to avoid that bathroom yes and this scene really captures your attention it really captured mine because i love again peeves i'm gonna bring it up every single time he comes in oh yeah so peeves catches hermione talking about moaning myrtle and then he's immediately like oh moaning myrtle oh someone's talking about or they're talking about you yeah and then she comes over and she you know her part jumps in and everything and then peace takes it upon himself to taunt her yeah just repeatedly and make it worse and she runs off to her bathroom and Peeves is just like oh that's so funny I'm so hilarious well I think he follows her out yes he he follows her out to to the bathroom (laughs) um also and I just like thought about this now this part as well of moaning myrtle like going off and crying in her bathroom is a very important part because if they hadn't talked about her and Peeves wouldn't have caught them and then confronted Myrtle with it and then taunted her and made it worse, she never would have flooded that bathroom. Exactly. And then there never would have been water on the ground and Mrs. Norris never would have looked in that water and been petrified. Exactly. See, that whole part, part wouldn't have been a thing. And it, and it explains why there's water on the ground, which is never explained in the movies. There's just water on the ground and they're just walking in water and then you find out it's bathroom water, which is even grosser. So yes, disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So that very important part. So we leave the death day party because they're freezing to death and Ron is starving. And then Harry starts hearing the basilisk, right? Yep, the voices again. Yes. Yeah, so they follow Which we know Harry. it's basilisk, but at that point we don't. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. So it's they just follow a voice Harry. in Harry's head. <laughs> that's not like Ron says even for a wizard that's not a good thing (laughs) yeah so they leave and Harry is following this voice that's saying kill kill or you know like I'm going to kill or yeah yes and then they're like oh we don't know what you're doing Harry stop and then that's when they stumble upon the bathroom which interesting enough that they basically just follow Myrtle and Peeves well they don't necessarily like they leave Oh, a decent amount of time after that yeah but it's, it's but funny it's still that, that they yeah they do technically follow them they yes. follow the same path exactly yeah. so and then that's whenever they stumble upon the, the wall on the wall yes which is the next chapter chapter nine chapter nine the writing on the wall <laughs> so this whole next part it is a lot more in depth than the movie they kind of just like throw into the suspense of the scene and they forget all of the outlying details. Yeah. So like the book discusses Ginny's reactions to this whole thing going on. And I don't know if they necessarily talk about it right in that scene, 
But they talk about like Ginny's reaction to feeling terrible about Mrs. Norris, Ginny's reaction to worrying about getting Harry, Ron, and Hermione in trouble. Just how like devastated Ginny is in general is explained a lot more in the books than in the movies. I think it's uh, talked about a little bit in the movie, but it's never expressed to the extent that the book is, which makes you like more inclined to understand what happens further on in the plot because you are already noticing that Ginny's having issues. Well, yeah, that's what ties also, it in when they explain it at the end. Well, later in this chapter, I did have a note because Ginny is, she acts like very mad because she thinks that, or they think that she's acting mad because they- She's devastated. She, yeah. Yeah. Over the cat. And mm-hmm. I just like had a question, like, does she know what she's doing or does she just think something's off and she has something to do with it? So I, I think it's been a while since I've read this book. So I know that they kind of explain it later on, but as of right now, I can't remember completely what they explain. I do know that Ginny has some form of knowledge that she has done something because she can't remember what she did in between when they, before the they find the writing on the wall. And she is, I believe that she finds uh, the blood on her hand so she knows she has something to do with it. She doesn't yeah. exactly know what's going on. She doesn't know what's causing it or like what's happening, but she knows that something, somehow she's involved. Yes. I don't think because she doesn't remember any of it so because she's taken over and she doesn't remember whenever um she's taken over but she knows that she has had some type of involvement in it because she's found things that has made her uh, clue so either she thinks that she's going crazy or she knows that she has something to do with it and she's hiding it which explains why she is a character in this book but she's not a character she's not a live character she doesn't really do anything other than having a small part in this plot yes most of her involvement in this plot is in the background so like she jk rowling like clues you into things like jenny's reactions to things and like how jenny's doing and how her brothers are starting to notice that she's getting really distressed and like she's in the in the plot in that sense up until the end when she's actually in the plot and like full on like her whole presence is in the scene before that it's just like she's talked about yes so but yeah so I don't I wouldn't say that she necessarily knows what she's doing but she knows that she has some form of involvement in it yeah which explains her uh, her being so upset about Mrs. Norris and then obviously that could easily be interpreted as Ginny being mad at Harry and Ron like they suspect she is when that's not the case mm-hmm. yeah oh and so I talked about this a little earlier but Filch is very quick to blame Harry for Mrs. Norris's statement and it's because he found her his quick spell letter and knows that Filch is a squib and so he assumes that Harry is like anyone else in the wizarding world and believes Filch is below him yes Harry has no idea what a squib is he doesn't understand what quick spell is other than that it's supposed to help someone who's struggling with magic and then doesn't Ron later explain to him what it is and he's like oh he's a squib ha ha so yeah um yeah Harry has no idea what a squib is and I believe Ron is the one that explains it to him later yes so the whole chapter before helps explain why Filch blames Harry immediately 
And then it further explains why Filch being a squib is important. Because yes. it's kind of just thrown out there in the movies and it's not really explained. No, because you do wonder, I before I even read these books, I didn't know much about Filch. All I knew was what people who did read the books before told me about him mm-hmm. when I was watching the movies. Yeah. So you get told that he's a squib from the people who read the books rather than getting told by the movies, which is very disappointing. Yep. And then um, I do love Snape in this scene. Also hilarious. Uh, I actually, like, I'm not a big fan of Snape, but I enjoy him in this scene. He knows that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are not at fault for whatever just happened. He is aware that they have just shown up the wrong place, wrong time. And he even, like, makes a note of that yes but he also is like let's see if I can still get them in trouble though and so he like plays the card of well they might be just in the wrong place at the wrong time but also like why weren't you at the feast like why were you not with everyone else so what's going on there let's see if I can get you in trouble <laughs> and then that's whenever Ram was like we weren't hungry and then his stomach growls and he's like <laughs> the worst thing that you could say Ron yes so I if Snape would have just been written like that through all the books I probably would have liked Snape more but unfortunately he has a lot more issues later on but this scene of Snape is fucking hilarious and I love it because this that that scene right there is truly how a teacher would probably be after dealing with crazy like shitty children all day they they would be like well I know that you aren't in trouble for this but let me see if I can get you in trouble for something else exactly (laughs) so I just love it I thought that that scene of Snape is probably one of my one and only scenes of Snape that I actually like Yes, and then there's also the scene where that Lockhart shows up, and then he's like, oh, she's dead. Oh, too bad, because I would have known the exact spell that would have, you know, helped her. And then Albus Dumbledore's like, she's not dead. She's just petrified. (laughs) She's just petrified. And he's like, what? (laughs) And then doesn't, doesn't a part pop up where, I know it's in the movie, but McGonagall and Snape are like, oh, you know, you can handle that, Lockhart you know uh that is later oh that's later that is later yes they do yes do that but it's way later in the book okay yes but um i yeah i think it's funny because lockhart is saying that mrs norris is dead and then dumbledore is like no she's just petrified and he and he originally is like what and then he goes oh i don't even remember what else he says but it's just funny because it throws lockhart off of his like upper pedestal (laughs) yes so we did skip over one of my notes real quick so they do actually lock her offers up his office for them yes. to talk in yes and I it's in the movie this scene but it, it's just brief but it really talks in Harry's you know point of view a little bit about seeing the pictures on the wall mm-hmm. the moving pictures okay my like I love that part because they're all like oh you know acting all girly they've got curlers yeah, they've in got their curlers hair. in the hair <laughs> And I love it, but the comment that I made, the moving pictures, how do they necessarily make that happen? Because if you remember in the first one, whenever they have those little frog chocolate frog cards and Dumbledore pops up and then Ron's like, oh, well, you can't expect them to hang around forever, right? Mm-hmm. So how is it they couldn't take a moving picture of Dumbledore and do what they do with the moving pictures, but how is it that Lockhart can be in the pictures and as if like he's a person? in the pictures 
acting like a person um because they still from so moving pictures aren't completely explained in the books and jk rowling explains them on her website i believe a little more i only know what i've heard on like other podcasts talking about harry potter and like some of the like youtube videos i've watched about explaining about some things from my understanding when a picture is taken for a moving picture there can be multiple different versions of a person in a moving there can be multiple moving pictures of one person and they can from my understanding they can move from one picture to another so the more moving pictures you have the more of that person can move between the frames however I do not completely understand I it's hard because there's theories that one picture is taken of a person in a moving picture and they move between all of the moving pictures of that person and then another is this scene where there's multiple different pictures of him specifically in all of these frames and then they're acting as if they're real people like oh they walk well yes so so the my understanding of the pictures is that it is a all the knowledge that the person has in their lifetime and all of the personality and like who they are is also captured in the picture so that is why they're acting like they're real humans because they are acting as Lockhart yes because they are a a form of him in a, a moving picture because later on pictures are talked to moving pictures are talked to to get information so they are portrayed as a person because whatever knowledge that you had in your life is also put into the picture so it's like a kind of like a part of not a horcrux but like kind of in a good version of a horcrux kind of gotcha Gotcha. Because it can't, I, I would say that it, it's part of their soul that's in that picture, but I, it's hard. I don't know. It's never truly explained. So it's all like theory because even yes. when JK Rowling explains it, it's not also, it's also not truly explained there either. So it's kind of hard to give you an answer. <laughs> it's, it's a little tricky. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, it did bring up questions for me. I never really thought about those questions watching the movies because mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in the movies and it happens there's not really many details yeah in depth there's movies there's still not many details about it in the books yes but it does bring up questions more in the book yes it does it does i would i i would agree however i I don't expect any resolution from the books because there's really (laughs) not any (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So they leave Lockhart's office and they continue life as, you know, they should as students. Mm -hmm. But Hermione is so determined to figure out what the Chamber of Secrets is. And I love, I love this because one of my comments says that Hermione got a taste of the sleuthing, the sleuthing life from the first book, the first yes. year. Yes. And she, she like a bloodhound, she smells more, she smells more drama stuff that she just, she has to get to the bottom of. And it's, it consumes her. It really does. And this chapter, she's just so engrossed with the idea of discovering what the chamber of secrets is, even if it's not a real thing of history. Yeah. It's a folk tale, basically. Mm-hmm. And she just needs to know about it. Yes. So that brings us to the scene where they're in Professor Ben's scene. Mm-hmm. A teacher that is never introduced into the movies. Nope. Nope. But he is a professor. He's a ghost professor. He is the professor of history of magic. Yes. Which is and not even explained in the movies at all. There is no history of magic in the movies. 
Yes, and I'm pretty sure in the movie it's McGonagall who explains the tale of the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. But yeah. in this book, it is Professor Ben's a ghost teacher. Mm-hmm. And they gather information about the Chamber of Secrets. And he's very stunned at first, too, as well. I, I like this yeah. part. Because <laughs> children are very, all of a sudden, Hermione asks about the Chamber of Secrets. And every student is so interested in what he's saying. And yeah. he's like, this has never happened before. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I'm he's flustered. Like, okay. No one ever raises a hand. So this is new. And then no one is ever this interested in my stories. So this is also new. Yes. And I think that because he does mention that it's not a part of history. He teaches history, right? Mm-hmm. So he It's a myth. He yeah, he teaches myths. He teaches history. But he still dives deep into it. He still goes into it because, oh, they're just so interested. He's like, let me capture their attention. Then we can jump back into the subject that I'm teaching. It is actually explained that Hermione is very, like, is buried in books. Like, she's always in a book looking looking up the Chamber of Secrets, which we don't necessarily truly find out until later. But she's, like, head first in a book at all times, just reading and reading and reading and reading trying to find anything about the Chamber of Secrets, and then she decides to ask Professor Binns. Yes, and then they they discover what's going on, the Chamber of Secrets or the myth. And, and I love this part because it really shows that it's not just Ron and Harry that dive into trouble because Hermione is the one that suggests the potion. Yes, she is. So she, I love that part. She is the one who And they like, have to steal, they have to steal ingredients and potions to I make know. this potion. So that's never explained in the movies at all. So when Hermione brings up the potion in the movie, she already knows what it is and how to make it. That is not how it is in the book. So she just remembers Snape mentioning the potion and yes. what book it's in and how they she is pretty sure that it's in the restricted section and they're going to have to figure out how to get it out of the restricted section. And if I'm not mistaken, I might be because reading these books get you know, the movie and the book details mixed up. Mm-hmm. Do they go to Lockhart to go to the restricted section or do they actually do the cloak in the movie? Honestly, I want to say that they don't even do, well, they might do. I honestly, I don't even have a recollection of it being in the movie. So I don't even know. Cause I, I don't remember it being in the movie at all. Like them having to go find this book in the restricted section. I don't remember them talking about the book. I don't remember them talking about needing to steal ingredients. I literally only remember Hermione knowing the potion, how long it's going to take, what she needs, and that's it. Like, she already knew everything she needed to know. She didn't need, it felt like she didn't need the book. Yes. But I might be wrong. So I don't know. We'd have to watch the movie yeah, to figure it out. Yeah, we'd have to watch out. the movie to figure it out. I'm really thinking that I it's not even in the movie. Yeah, so and which is terrible because she has a book, right? It happens. So, I'm pretty yeah. sure she's looking in the book. And they don't if if it's not in the movie or anything related to taking a restricted book out of the restricted section. So yeah, and then they so, jump into making the, the potion. Well, they jump into talking about the potion. Yes. That is all in chapter 10, the rogue bludger. <laughs> yes. Before we move on to chapter 10 real quick, yes. I want to make the comment that this potion is very clumpy, very ugh, but later on in the series, in the movies at least, whenever that one guy 
who, you know, drinks the potion, it's very liquidy, like Mm -hmm. kind of like alcohol a little bit. And he drinks it to turn into that teacher. I'm forgetting his name. I know you're talking about book four. I know who you're talking about. Um, So we actually never see the potion in that, in the book or in the movie. So we don't know what he's taking until they reveal, until Snape smells the bottle and reveals what it is. Yeah. I also want to say that the next time this potion is brought up, we also don't, we, well, we might find out. I, I want to say that it's still pretty clumpy. Well, elsewhere. if you remember when everyone turns into Harry, Mm-hmm. In the movie scene, I'm pretty sure it's a, a see-through liquid bottle, it might be. Like, it's liquid. It might be in the movies, but I'm pretty sure it's not in the books. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's I'm, different. It's, yes. They they really come into it. They make it their own later in the series, which I feel like I get it. it. You know, it's the beginning. And then the series gets so big that, you know, they make it their own. They don't really worry about what's different and what's well, not. Well, I don't, I think after the second movie, J.K. Rowling's not even involved anymore yeah to be honest so so anyway so we move on to chapter 10 the rogue bludger so in this chapter we find out that they plan to go to lockhart and ask lockhart to sign the slip so that they can get the book out of the restriction section yes and i think that it's hilarious because they talk about how lockhart's classes are basically him reading out of a book now he won't do any, like, he doesn't do any demonstrations anymore after the Pixies. Um, and I also think that it's funny that Hermione, Harry, and Ron all are aware that Lockhart is the thickest person for them in the building that would be able to sign that for them. And so he's the one that they use to break the rules. However, Hermione is still defending him. Still. Like, you just used him because he's, uh, he's dumb enough to take your excuse for why you want this book. Because he's so vain. Yes, but you're still defending him for the decisions that he's making and the things he's doing. So, like, you're either in denial (laughs) or you're in denial. Like, regardless, (laughs) regardless, you are very smart, Hermione. What is going on? (laughs) So we move to them going to the restricted section, getting the book that they need, and then Mm -hmm. starting the potion, talking about stilling all, all of these ingredients and, and how then, long it'll take. Yes, uh, two or three months, right? I think it was two months. Two months. Yes. Yes. So, and then we go to the Quidditch scene where they are actually playing against Slytherin. And in my opinion, this Quidditch scene happens faster in the books. Like the scene just moves quickly in the books compared to what it does in the movie. Honestly, I want to say the movie moves faster. I don't know. I just, I felt like when I'm watching the movie, they make it more dramatic and mm, The movie might have and... drawn out some of the se- the parts of the Quidditch like, yes. game because it's not long after, well, so there's a big section in the book where they talk about everything leading up to the Quidditch match and then Wood's pep talk before the match actually happens. Yes. And we go into the match. And I don't, I want to say that the movie kind of skims through all of that and might have part of the pep talk in it, but I don't want to say it has very much of that whole pep talk, which that pep talk is kind of important. Yes. Because Wood basically tells Harry to do anything and everything in his power to end the game as soon as possible because they won't be able to keep up with the brooms that the Slytherin team has. And that's exactly what he does. Yes, it is. Even even through the bludger, which, you know, we jump into my next note, um, compared to the movie, 
in the book, like the comparison. The bludger is so aggressive in the oh book. Oh my it's, gosh, it, it is. is. on his tail. The Weasley twins are having to defend Harry, mm-hmm. but in the movie, it's just dramatic and whoosh, It just whoosh. like shows up out of nowhere. Yes, but in, in the, the book, it's there. It's, it's following him. Yeah, yes. it's constantly after him. In the movie, it just shows up out of nowhere and he's like trying to play the game. And then all of a sudden it'll show up and he has to like deflect or like get out of the way or anything like that. In the in the book, it's it's following him constantly. He has to constantly be moving. The twins are defending him. Like like he can't get away from this bludger. Yes. And, and that bludger is going for blood. <laughs> yes. And what makes it worse is that it's raining. Okay. Yes. In this scene in the book, it's raining. In the movie, it's nice and sunny and everything's mm-hmm. all sunshine. But it makes it worse that they're having to play this game, this dangerous game where this dangerous bludger is trying to murder Harry. Yeah. Dobby, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, oh, Dobby wasn't trying to kill Harry. Just just hurt him enough that he gets sent home. Like, what the fuck are you trying to do? You better. Oh my God. No, I know. So, So, yeah, it's. We'll get into that later. (laughs) Yes. It's very, yeah, the Bludger is very aggressive in the book. And then there is never a timeout in the movie and there's a timeout in the book, which I think is kind of important because I feel like in the movie, they just kind of let the Bludger attack Harry and they're, other than the twins noticing that there's a Bludger that's specifically going for Harry, there's not much like awareness of what's going on with Harry outside of that. And Yeah, the, the twins book, know it's a, like everyone is aware that something's wrong and they bring it up to wood and is like dude like this bludger's trying to kill harry what what we need to do something about it and harry's the one that decides to keep playing even though this bludger's trying to kill him yes because he doesn't want to forfeit he doesn't want to give slytherin the win yes and so <laughs> which you know goes into a little bit uh draco in the movie and in the book he he i'm pretty sure he's either approaching harry in the book i can't remember but in the movie he's teasing harry right and then the snitch is right there right beside him mm-hmm. which kind of goes against you know him actually having any skill to well, be I, I don't know if i would technically say that he's skilled to be a seeker i think that he could play quidditch but i don't know if seeker is his position. <laughs> yes because it was right there in both the movie yeah. and the book and yeah, it was sitting made, right above his shoulder <laughs> the slytherins made a comment about it as well in the book it was like are you kidding me Malfoy what the heck it was right next to you yeah yes which also brings me to Harry always has to do something spectacular when he catches the snitch right so in the first book he almost swallows it right and he risked his life to catch that snitch into the game so that the bludger could be captured and this you know he can't be killed but then he risked his life to catch it while being chased by the bludger and then he breaks his arm well so that he actually breaks his arm before he even gets the snitch and then he oh yeah and because he doesn't have he so he was staring at malfoy who's got this uh the snitch above his shoulder and isn't paying attention and he's been sitting there too long and the bludger comes and hits him in the elbow and yes his arm and that is different from the movie where he's outstretched trying to grab the snitch and the bludger hits his arm as he's mm-hmm. trying to catch the snitch see that's what it was i was getting that's the details very different up. but still yes. like he's but he's then, so determined he, yeah to catch and he lets go snitch. of his broom <laughs> to catch it with his other good hand 
Yeah, he still does something extravagant for to catch the snitch. Apparently. Like, how did he not no have a career? Well, how did he not end up with a career? At the very end of this series, how did oh, he not yeah, end up with a true. career it's as true. playing Quidditch? Yeah. Because he's got all of these spectacular accomplishments playing this game. And he just puts his life on the line for it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he goes all in. Yes. The other thing that's different. Uh, well, so I don't really know about that because I, I do wonder about that why he didn't go professional for Quidditch. But the other thing that's different from the Quidditch scene in the movies and the books is that the bludger does not continue to chase Harry after he catches the snitch and falls to the ground. Like Harry's not rolling around in the sand trying to avoid this bludger that's like pounding Very the true. Very true. So... <laughs> That's that's different. At least the bludger apparently follows the rules of the whistle. I have no idea. <laughs> that or Dobby was just like, oh, Harry got hurt. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> like, Maybe I'll I stop. did good enough. <laughs> and let me point out real quick, this is not in my notes, but Dobby, oh my gosh, how powerful is he to just curse a bludger and nobody know about it? Um, so from my understanding, uh, they have about as much powers as wizards do. But they're house elves. Yes. And they can only use their powers given granted by their owner or something like that. So does that mean that Lucius Malfoy gave him permission to harm Harry? during the Quidditch match which is why I don't understand because I'm pretty sure that Dobby is acting on his own free will for uh, to try and save Harry and because I think that so are they not spellbound to listen to their owners then they just do it I could have sworn hold on I know that the twins talk about it in well said Fred put it this way house elves have got powerful magic of their own but they can't usually use it without their master's permission I reckon old Dobby was sent to stop you coming back to Hogwarts someone's idea of a joke so the twins tell you that technically they're not allowed to use their magic without their master's approval so i don't know if dobby is working for his masters and trying to hurt harry or if dobby has found a loophole in one of his master's orders and is able to use his magic to try try keyword try to help Harry. Try but failing. He <laughs> broke his arm. Oh my gosh. Trying to help Harry him. to get out of Hogwarts. Because what he's basically doing is trying to get Harry to leave Hogwarts and he's trying to do anything he can to get Harry to leave Hogwarts and he is assuming that since this bludger was basically out to kill him that Harry would go home. Not Which knowing that up, Harry would not. <laughs> yes well it brings up that the Madam Pom- the, Pomfrey? Poop, yes. Poop, Pomfrey. Yes. Uh, she says, I can mend bones in a heartbeat or something. Yeah, in so, seconds. But growing bones is a risky business or something like that. Yes. So if she, if harming Harry, you know, enough to not kill him, but send him home, like how harmed does he need to be? Because if she can mend bones. Basically within an inch of his life, I'm oh, going to gosh. assume. Which is terrible. Because that bludger was out for blood. That bludger was not giving up for anything. It was heading straight for Harry's head. So my only assumption is that Dobby was trying to hurt Harry past the point of Mrs. Pomfrey's skills. And so he would have had to be sent to a hospital, which would have gotten him out of Hogwarts. So beyond her skills, which I'm going to assume would be within an inch of his life. Because <laughs> Mrs. Pomfrey is actually very skilled and she does help a lot of people later in the series. So it's yes. not like she c- couldn't have healed him. So that's my assumption, is that he would have needed a lot more help than what she could have given him. 
Yes, and then the comment, Dobby's comment comes up later, which, I mean, Harry says, that could have killed me. And then Dobby said, no, not kill, never kill Harry Potter. And (laughs) only to harm. So he can leave Hogwarts. (laughs) Only to to severely hurt so that you are no longer able to stay at Hogwarts. So no, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to get you to the point that you're almost there. So that you're not at Hogwarts. Uh, fuck you, Dobby. No, thank you. Well, that's a comment that I had. I understand that, you know, I look, I tend to look at, you know, people's different points of views Mm -hmm. in such a thing. Mm -hmm. And for a house elf, he, I mean, he's not necessarily schooled. He doesn't understand certain things or, you know, he, he's raised to serve. Mm-hmm. So I can understand why he has such a twisted logic, which brings me to my comment about how he's trying in his own way to be sweet and to save Harry, but he's just, he doesn't get it. It's not clicking for him, but which makes it so sad because, you know, you have Harry being so mean to him. Meanwhile, he's like, but I'm only trying to help you, Harry. I don't understand how you need me to help you if you don't need me to do this or that. Not yeah. to mention, like you said, if he can't use his powers, except whenever his owners tell him he can, he has to find a loophole, which means that there's not a lot of ground to walk on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what else could he do? Yeah, I I can see where you are coming from because who Dobby's masters are, are very violent people. So I can see where his head could go there. However, regardless of how sweet Dobby was trying to be, you're trying to almost kill a a person like child like you're trying to kill almost kill someone and like regardless of what your excuse is what the hell (laughs) and dobby's words never kill i could never kill harry potter only harm severely yeah like where where is where where is the line because if that's not a line i'm scared (laughs) but at least You know, at the very end, after all of that, you know, we'll get to that later, Harry, you know, helping Dobby and stuff. But it just, at least then, he had such a loyal friend and that Dobby comes up later and he's so loyal. He's free. He's completely free. He has no master and he comes to Harry in need. Well, like I said, after this book, I like Dobby. Dobby's cool. Dobby is a very sweet character. He learns what to be sweet means and and not trying to kill Harry any longer I do enjoy him after that but in this book like I literally just want to pick Dobby up by the neck and strangle him (laughs) I don't I don't like I understand where you're coming from but in my opinion I just I've always seen Dobby this character in general even just in the movies and the books it doesn't matter I just look at him like an innocent little puppy who just doesn't know any better who's trying to be sweet, but he doesn't know that he did something wrong. He doesn't understand. It's not clicking. So it just, it's pitiful for me. And I sympathize. I probably would sympathize if it was a real person, but (laughs) since it's in a book, I'm going to go with no. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Because I can freely hate him right now because he's not a real person if this was a real person my psychology brain would probably coming out being like oh buddy you need a lot of help <laughs> come you here some help. <laughs> like let's talk about life because you apparently have never learned it um oh. <laughs> but since he's a character in a book and i don't have to go into that mindset i am going to freely hate dobby for the rest of this book until later <laughs> because <laughs> he's 
a maniac. So, um, but I also <laughs> pass Dobby. Um, Skelegro sounds terrible. I don't know if I think that Mrs. Pomfrey would have to um force it down my throat because I don't know if I would freely take it. <laughs> yes, and they in the book, Harry is just like, Ugh, oh my gosh, uh, you know, yeah. like, but in the movies, he's kind of just like, Ugh, you know, it doesn't really show how nasty. Yeah, that medicine it, is. It's not explained how nasty it is. It doesn't truly explain what the process is going to be like. It, Harry in the movie doesn't really show the the uncomfortableness of the whole process at all. And so like in the book, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, like I would rather no. just have this flimsy little arm and just get <laughs> yeah. through life like this. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> and then... After all of this with Javi and the Skelligro and him having a limp noodle as an arm, we find out that Colin Creevy was petrified. Poor Colin. All he wanted was a photo. Yep. He was trying to sneak out in the middle of the night to come take a snapshot of Harry Potter in the medical ward and instead ran into the monster. The dedication of this child. I know. He is so <laughs> determined to get pictures of Harry in every yes. angle, doing everything. <laughs> yes. Even in the hospital bed after getting harmed by the enchanted bludger. Yeah, he is He's very dedicated to get every part of Harry Potter's life in this camera. Yes, and even though Harry is so annoyed, and Colin technically did it to himself, sneaking out he to get a picture of Harry. Bad. He does. He feels very bad in this scene, which is yeah. where you start seeing more of the compassionate side yes. of Harry because yes. he, in this book he's kind of just always been annoyed oh Lockhart oh Colin but then this is the part where he's really like oh shit yeah and it also solidifies that there's actually like they already know that there's true chamber of secrets because they've looked it up and they've talked about it and like they know the whole story now but the professors actually admit that the chamber of secrets is open in the hospital ward which is the first time that it's confirmed for Harry. Yeah, and this is, that's whenever it kickstarts their sleuthing. They're, yes, oh, we does. need to have answers. Yes, Again, what child at that age would be so determined to get themselves into trouble or possibly kill themselves? I don't know. Harry's a special one. But not just Harry. It's Ron reminding <laughs> Harry. There's, there's three of them there. <laughs> I mean, you would think with every, if, Everything that Ron and Harry do without Hermione, Hermione's like, oh, no, 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 scolding, scolding, right? Mm -hmm. But as long as they do it with her and she finds some form of compromising thought to reason, good reason to break the rules. Yeah, and that's when she's like, oh, it's no big deal. We did it for the greater good. Yeah, keyword. As long as it's done for the greater good, she is on board. Exactly. Well, that is the end of chapter 10 and the end of the chapters that we are going to talk about. Yes. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope that you also laughed at some of the stupidity in the last couple chapters and the cool things that weren't brought up in the movies, you know? Yeah. So if you were that few that are listening to our podcast and have not read the books, why are you still here? Go read them. Yeah. We're, we're giving you so many spoilers. Please read them. Oh my yes. gosh. 
do not go any further until you've read <laughs> because we have given you all the spoilers at this point. And there are so many more details, yes. character building. You really yes. have to bond with these characters like we are to really understand where we're coming from. Yes, very true, very true. Well, as always, feel free to send us comments and what you think about these couple chapters and how you felt about some of the things that were Easter egged in here or some things that you noticed that we didn't bring up, feel free to email us and we may even talk about it in one of our episodes like we did for one of um, the people that brought up an episode from the last book. So email us at discount ticket number two, world unknown at protonmail.com. And please join our social medias where we will be revealing next episodes and sneak peeks. Mm-hmm. And please go to our Patreon where you can see behind the scenes. Yes, us talking about random things or things that we might not include in the uh, episode, you can definitely find on Patreon if you subscribe to be a patron. So feel free to find us on patreon.com. Yes, and please join us next week for the next few chapters of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Bye!